UN News 2021, The Human Wrongs Watch. Misra, an undocumented migrant worker and her family, left their home in Ethiopia hoping for a better life. Instead, her three children are now dead, drowned during a perilous sea crossing across the Gulf of Aden when the overloaded boat smuggling them into the country capsized. I have lost everything, says Misra, as she struggles to recount the most traumatic of events, witnessing the deaths of her three children. The 27-year-old Ethiopian woman, her husband and children, Aziza 5, Rachar 3, Ikram 2, and at least 55 other migrants and refugees were aboard a boat controlled by smugglers crossing the Gulf of Aden from Yemen to the Horn of Africa via Djibouti on the 12th of April. Overcrowded and traveling in the dead of night, the vessel capsized under the weight of its passengers. 16 children, including Misra's, and at least 44 immigrants, migrants and refugees drowned, trapped beneath the sunken vessel. She and her husband, Abdul Basit, were two of just 14 to survive. Speaking through a translator, Misra musters the strength and courage to describe the moments leading up to the tragedy. As we approached the shore, the boat began to fall apart. My children were sleeping when the boat turned over. I was holding Ikram in my arms. I knew I could swim. That is how I survived. Unfortunately, it was not the case for my children. They were too young and the sea was too rough. We've all heard these stories. The stories of refugees and migrants fleeing situations of violence hunger, poverty, putting everything in the boat only to have it capsize. You might recall the picture of Elon Kurdi, the three-year-old Syrian boy a few years back, lying face down on the beach when he washed up after his family was drowned. Or maybe you recall the picture of Oscar Ramirez and his little girl Valerie on the shore of the Rio Grande here in America. Why didn't God save them? Did they lack faith? Do you think that they didn't cry out to God when they and their children were drowning? This morning's gospel story is not really about the problem of theodicy. Theodicy is a seminary word. It uh, kind of captures this problem of how is it that God is all-loving, all-knowing, all-powerful, and yet so many terrible things happens to good people. How do we understand this? This morning's gospel is really about the issue of who is Jesus. In the gospel of Mark, Jesus' identity is an ongoing mystery. And the questions that are asked, who then is this that he commands the sea and the waves? 
It's really not till the end, at the crucifixion, when Jesus dies and the centurion says, surely this man was God's son. For us here, though, steeped in our Christianity, the answer to the last question is pretty easy. Who is this? It's Jesus the Christ. Jesus, God, amongst us. But the other two questions... The other questions remain unanswered, and they're all designed, I think, for us, the listener and the reader, to grapple with. So let's do so. Why are you afraid? Have you no faith? Is the idea that if we had faith, we wouldn't be afraid? Or if we're not afraid, we have faith? I really resist any notion that our faith is at odds with our emotions, that somehow if we're sad or afraid or angry, that that's a testament against our faith. Luckily, this morning, the, the notion of being afraid in the gospel is not exactly like the fear. It's more tied to faith than it is to the storm. It has a notion of timidity, the notion of not being as bold as you might. It's that kind of fear. So Jesus is really speaking about faith. Why are you not being more bold in your faith? Not, don't be afraid of drowning. But nonetheless, I think that we can come to this idea that somehow having faith will keep us safe. That faith will save us. I mean, in the story, right? Jesus acts, you know? He's asleep. They're alarmed. Teacher, aren't you worried that we're drowning? That we're going to die? And Jesus calms the storm and calms the waves. But we know that doesn't happen for everyone. And we know someday it won't happen for us either. The disciples are in a particular kind of peril, right? Presumably when they were on the shore, they were safe. But then we got in this boat in the middle of the night, and the storm comes up, and the waves start to come in, the boat's filling up with water. They're in peril. They're dying. But honestly, we're all dying, right? We're all in this process of living until we die. And so one day, our boat will fill up and capsize and we'll drown. So it can't be that our faith is a, an insurance policy. You know, it's not our spare tire, you know, for when things kind of break down and then you go to your faith. You know, our faith has got to be more like our steering wheel. It's how we ended up in the boat in the first place. Right? It's how we're going to navigate this life. But it's not a protective dome over the good. We move through life protected. Because I think sometimes the story can kind of sound like that. We're so distracted by the fact that Jesus has got this power, right? He commands the sea and the, and the, and the wind. That's so impressive. 
I think we end up kind of missing the larger point, which is that Jesus is in the boat with us. That we are the dying. And that's not just us. That includes Jesus. Right? Jesus came to reveal something new about God. Jesus came to be among us, to live with us, right? And to teach us who we are and who we belong to. And Jesus goes to his death willingly. An unjust death. And the salvation of that death is not just that the Son of God does that for us. What also dies on the cross is all of our notions and beliefs and ideas about God. Because we must remember that idolatry is really the only sin. Thinking that something is God when it is not. All of it comes back to that. So when we get this picture that somehow we're in the boat and it's filling up with water and God's over there looking on and he could help us. But he doesn't. We're not talking about God. We're talking about a mistaken understanding of who we are and what we're about. Because God's already in the boat with us. And so this problem is not one of trying to get God to save us. Because even if God saves us in that situation, Jesus still dies. And so do all the disciples. So our faith is in a God who is with us. And we're with God now. And this life that we share with God, that we move and have our being in God, is in all of us here. And it's shot through creation. And death does not end that. Our faith transcends death and goes beyond. We continue on with God. So really the task for us is to get clear about what are the idols that we're holding on to that are keeping us from living this reality, right? I mean, our whole culture is just full of idolatry, all the things that aren't God. But I think if we focus on where we'll be when we're dying, you'll see that they're not really God, right? When I went to the Upaya Zen Center, we did this whole week of meditations all about death and dying. And one of the ones we did in the morning was, you know, you're on your deathbed and you're taking your last breaths. And you kind of go through and take an inventory. Your money can't help you. You know, fame, fortune, that Nobel Prize can't help you. Your friends, your family, the doctors, science, they can't help you. It's very hard to learn to trust God 
until you have nothing else but God. So this whole practice of remembering your death is a way to kind of remember who you belong to, who you are. And it's not enough just to know it. We have to be it. And that's actually pretty hard because we're so distracted, and I am too. But it's ultimately about recognizing the God within us and the God that's amongst us and seeing us all together in that fabric so that we live that life that Jesus calls us to and reminds us of so that when the boat fills up and we go down, we know where we're going. I want to end with a story from Alan Watts's book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. It's a Persian story. It's about a sage who goes to the door of heaven and knocks, and God says, who's there? And he says, is it I? And God says, in my house there's no room for me and thee. And the sage goes away and kind of ponders this in meditation, thinking, what can this mean? I've given my life to God. How can I not belong to God? He goes back and knocks again. And once again, he says, it is I. And the door remains closed. He continues to ponder this problem. And as the years goes by, eventually, he comes back and knocks on the door. And God once again demands, who is it? And the sage says, it is thyself. And the door opens. <laughs>